You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Actually, a beautiful weekend. First weekend of fall. I always get caught off guard when fall starts because it certainly starts earlier than this in my head. Um, but the rest of the country said fall started yesterday or yesterday, Friday, whatever it was. So we're in our. Uh, specifically fall season. Um, Honestly, it's one of my favorites. I love the leaves. I love the cool weather in the morning and semi-sunny in the day. It's just my favorite. So, um, yeah, it feels like it's been a while since I've been here, but that's not overly true. I guess I just missed one week. But I was sick for like a good 10 days. Um, I had malaria, and it was terrible. Um, I got bit by a mosquito, if, just so you're not worried, because everyone goes, oh my gosh, is that contagious? Not unless you knew the mosquito that bit me. Um, actually, I went to the hospital because it, it was pretty bad. I ended up going to the hospital, and they asked me if I was near people who had malaria, and I had to inform the hospital that it's not contagious. So that didn't make me feel good about my health care, but uh, such is life. Malaria is not normal here in the United States, of course, but I picked it up while I was in Uganda and sometimes it just lays dormant for a month and then surprises you. Um, so, yeah, I spent about eight days in bed where I didn't want anybody to do anything, say anything, turn the lights on. It was pretty rotten. Um, but, yeah, I missed like a whole week here at work, so I feel like I'm catching up. But thank you for those who are praying for me. I think some of you knew that I was sick. I really appreciate that. If I uh, pass out while I'm speaking, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Um, no, I'm feeling pretty good. I do get tired still. Uh, there's just It just hangs on, right? So I'm still taking some medication for it. But Matthew 18, I want to start today. I'm going to jump right into my message because I don't want to waste any time. Um, Matthew 18, I want to pick up in this scripture today. And so we've been talking about idols. And today, I want to talk about something that probably will push all of our buttons to some degree, but is also something that we all dislike at the same time. We all are uh, basically, you know, responsible for acting this way, but we're also mad when other people act this way. And the word today that I'm talking about, the idol I'm talking about today is entitlement. Who loves entitlement? Exactly. Um, You know, I think that in today's world, we have uh, a specific name that describes entitlement. Anybody shout it out there? Well, our children, that's true, but there's a name. Come on. It's Karen. Come on. Sorry, Karen, if you're here. I know. I feel so bad for you. Every time I see these things, I'm like, poor Karen Van Patten. Like, she is the most least entitled person there is, yet somehow the whole world has labeled all people that act entitled by the name Karen. And now, you don't even get, there's not even a male name for Karen. They just say, male Karen. Right? Like, oh, I experienced a male Karen. I, we should come up with a name for that. I don't know. Uh, maybe we could vote today. You could write it on your notes and put it in the offering next week. Who do we think is the most entitled male out there? You can't put Greg because then I would hate it. So, But entitlement, right? Something about entitlement irks us. But the truth is, uh, unfortunately, we're all part of the problem when it comes to entitlement. So I want to talk today, this idea of an idol of entitlement. Now, this is not something when you look in scriptures, there's a word where Jesus talks about entitlement. But we see it happen 
throughout the scriptures. We see it happen even around the disciples in Jesus' life. And so I want to read some scriptures to you today that are going to kind of bring this idea out of what is it when we talk about this idea of entitlement, and what is it that maybe captures our heart? Again, the idea of this, this series on idols is when we elevate something to a place in our life that's not right. Now, I would just say entitlement is never right. And so sometimes we can look at idols and it's like, oh, here's a good thing that maybe God has done or God's given us or maybe even a good thing in life. Like I think two weeks ago I talked about success and wealth. Again, in and of themselves, they're not wrong, but when you elevate them to a wrongful place, then they become wrong. They become idols. Now, I would say entitlement just simply is something that we can get trapped in, that we can end up serving, and it becomes an idol in our lives, but it's never right. And we can see it throughout the scriptures in a few different stories. I want to read a few of those stories today. So I want to start right in Matthew 18. If you've got your Bibles... Um, you can turn to Matthew 18. If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, just to remind you, we always have some carts right in the back. They're full of Bibles. They're free. They're for you. You can take one home and keep it if you want. There's some, even some kids' Bibles there. So Matthew 18, I want to read a story called the Parable of the Unforgiving Debtor. And uh, this is verse 21, Matthew 18. So let's read through this and see what happens. I've read this before. Maybe you've read it before. It says this, then Peter came to him and asked, so he's talking to Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Jesus replies, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So again, this is this conversation about forgiveness takes place. But Jesus, he always likes to illustrate. So he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars and he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Terrible story, right? Guy owns millions of dollars, now he's getting sold into slavery with all his family. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. I'm going to stop there. We'll finish the story in a moment. But you see this story playing out. Jesus is using this story to talk about forgiveness. But I think we look and there's kind of a, an issue going on here. You've got this man who comes who gets brought to his king, who owes him a lot of money. You know, uh, my translation, it says millions of dollars. And if you're reading a little bit more of a word-for-word -word translation, they would have had something else in there. But it's translated in the worth literally today would have been millions of dollars. So this man owes this massive debt. And what is he asking for? Mercy. He's asking for mercy. In fact, he believes he deserves it, right? Why should my family have to pay for this problem. Why should we have to pay in this way? Please give us more time. So he's asking for mercy. And really, I'm sure he believes he deserves it. But then immediately, he goes to another man. 
owes him money, and he gives him no mercy. And sometimes what happens in life when I think about entitlement is this very scenario. For some reason, entitlement tells us that we deserve something, but that others don't. Entitlement kind of puts boundaries around certain groups, right? We see it in today's world. Right now, there's entitlement boundaries around race, and there's entitlement boundaries even around political parties, and there's entitlement um, boundaries around maybe things that have happened to us in the past. There's entitlement boundaries even around religion. There's all these entitlement boundaries that we put, and we start to categorize who is worth something and who is not. And in this story, we see this man who believes that he's worthy of mercy, but the man who owes him some money is not. That he's worthy of having his debts forgiven, but the man that owes him and his family is not. And so we see this story play out. It says that he has them sold and um, sent to prison until the debt could be paid in full. So 31, let's pick it up. It says, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. This would have been a Karen meme. Sorry, Karen, I'm going to say it so many times. This would have been a meme. Like, imagine seeing this play out in today's world. Like, we would all be furious of this. This person who's forgiven debt, but then somehow acts in this entitled manner to go and receive his own debts paid to him and has no mercy. We can all put ourselves in these shoes says they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. says, then the king called to the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's a brutal verse. I mean, that, I don't even know how to preach on that one. This is Jesus saying this is what God will act like towards us if we don't forgive others. The truth is what I see here is God can get angry just like we get angry at things. And actually, God, there's a place where, you know, anger isn't wrong in and of itself. It can get wrong. It can become sinful. It can get out of place. But we see a God who actually is angry when people act in an entitled way. When the mercy that they've been shown, they don't actually show to others. When I, I think we see it even in Jesus' life. We see it later. You go down to Matthew 22 and 25, and you see Jesus. He gets so angry at religious leaders, he begins to call them whitewashed tombs. And he tells them they're full of dead man's bones. And he says, woe to them over and over. And there's this reason because what he's seeing is these religious leaders who are supposed to be representing his father in a right way to the world, and they're misrepresenting him. And they take all these things for themselves. They take all these accolades and they take all this stuff and there's this place where they're always looking for, you know, people to recognize them. And they take all this stuff entitled on their lives, but then they don't actually give it out to the others as well. And there's something about this that actually I think makes God angry. And I think there's a reason why it makes us angry too. But you see, we could be just like the man in this story. We can look out at the world and easily with our own judgmental eyes and attitudes point everybody else out in the way that they're entitled but never look inward and realize that we might act just as entitled at times too. 
I don't know about you, but I think I deserve to be everywhere first. I don't like lines. Does anybody else like lines? Like when I go to any place with a line, I am, I am the guy you all hate that's looking to cheat and find my way to the front. I'll pay for it if I have to. I hate, you ever go to the airport, anybody travel that goes to the airport and you have to wait in the TSA line? So, of course, I started seeing that there's a pre-check TSA line. I'm like, what's that? I got to get in that line because that line's a lot shorter. And even when I get in that line, I will literally duck underneath the little, what do they call those, stanchions. I was looking for that word. To try to cut in front of the person that's going slow because they're going too slow around that back and forth thing. And it's like in front of one older lady. I'm so sorry. Because something's wrong with me. I believe I'm entitled to get the first. You know what's funny is we all get into there and then we all just go and sit in the same seats and wait for the plane anyway. But it's something inside me is like, oh, I don't, I shouldn't have to wait. I shouldn't have to be behind this person that's extra slow. I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to actually only have my bag be at 50 pounds. Why is 54 not okay? I mean, if you ask any of the students that have traveled with me, there's times where I can totally be a Karen. I'm going to say sorry so many times, Karen. There's these places where, like, I get this entitled attitude, but yet when I look out at everyone else that might act that way, I would want to judge them. But the truth is we all have this within us. I think especially in America. I travel the world. You know what I expect? That someone's going to speak English. I don't have to learn any language. Honestly, if you travel the world and you're English speaking, it's so easy to get entitled. Because everyone else does learn English. Almost everywhere in the world that I've gone, and I've been to some random places, you can find someone who speaks English. And it's like I don't even have to try to actually put myself in someone else's shoes when it comes to language. Because I think, hey, you should learn the language of the world, which is English. And it's American English. Really, it's New York State upstate English, because if you sound like a southerner, I find that annoying. <laughs> and so you should really talk like me. I mean, have, how many of us get on the phone when we need to call a helpline? You want to think about how entitled you are? Think about that moment. Immediately, you're like, why am I talking to some guy that can't speak English? I can't even understand what he's saying. Sometimes I'm with people that I travel, and they're like, they're not speaking English. I'm like, yes, they are. You just have to listen harder. They just have an accent. But how entitled are we that we literally think someone shouldn't speak with an accent in our own language? So am I kind of making you aware that you're entitled to yet? How about when you go to a drive through line, and they ask you to pull over? Anybody get entitled in that moment? What do you mean I have to pull over? I'm in a drive through line purposely so I don't have to pull over. I literally get mad at it every time. They're like, can you pull off to the side? I'm like, no, I'll just wait here. They're like, uh, no, can you pull off to the side? No, that's fine. I'll wait here. I don't do it in Messina because they know me. <laughs> I just do it in other towns where they don't know who I am. Anybody else entitled? Can we admit it yet? <laughs> <laughs> but 
But it's easy for us, right, just like the man in this story, to, to want mercy over our own lives, to want this kind of view over our own lives. But when it comes to other people, then we tend to have the same problem. And Jesus is warning them. In fact, in such a harsh way, it should scare us. There should be this place where we have mercy for others, where we don't view others through a lens that, that does, isn't the same lens that God views us through. Entitlement. God does not like it. Let's go to John 12, another story. Let's turn your Bibles a couple books later. John 12. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this, Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. So this is a big deal. At din at, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. There's, there's this story that takes place right here, and it's this moment where Mary kind of acts in this extravagant and honestly almost awkward way. And so this perfume that she would have had, um, it's worth so much money, and you're going to see it in just a moment in the next scripture. It's worth so much money that the way they would bottle it, in a sense, they would bottle it, and it would be completely sealed. And once you opened it, you used it. Now, this bottle that she's using has never been opened. It's like breaking this unsealed value. And what she does is she pours the whole thing out over Jesus' feet. And it's really this extravagant moment of where she's taking something of high value and she's using it all at once on Jesus' feet. It's really, it's hard for us to put our, our mindset in the understanding of what was taking place here. But I want you to hear it. It goes on here in verse 4. It says, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, John wants to make sure we know that, <laughs> said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. Imagine this now. A year's wages. A year's wages is how much this was worth. And she decides to pour it out on his feet. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in this. Obviously, she's showing the value of what she feels towards Jesus. She's showing this extravagant love for Jesus. There's also this symbolism of anointing him because his death is coming soon. And there's something about that in there. But there's this incredible place where she pours this value out on Jesus. And Judas is bothered by it. And listen to what he says. He says, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. It's trying to sound very righteous and nice, right? But verse 6 says this, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus rep replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I want to stop there because there's this moment where we see Judas get upset over this extravagant display of value. This woman takes this perfume that's worth a year's wages and pours it on his feet. And, and he, of course, wants to sound religious and he wants to sound like he's making a good point and he says you know this money should have been or this thing should have been sold and the money given to the poor and John wants to make sure we understand his motivation he says not that he cared for the poor but he was a thief and often stole from the money that was given to them himself 
And I think about this story, and I think that we don't see a lot with what's happening on the inside for Judas. We know, of course, later that Judas sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And he gives away his location, and he betrays him. And even Jesus seems to know this is coming, but doesn't really alter any of his plans because of it. Now Judas sells them out, and I think to myself, we don't see a lot of the progression of what happened with Judas, but something happened in the storyline of Judas' life where he's a disciple of Jesus, yet he begins to justify taking more for himself. And then later he even justifies betraying Jesus. And I think to myself, this is an easy place of entitlement that can come in in a moment like this. And I think about Christianity. I think about people in the world that have gotten, in a sense, caught red-handed, just like Judas in Christianity, where they've taken for themselves. There's honestly too many stories to even think about in popular and prosperity-driven Christianity where you've got this pastor and he's he's kind of preaching this message of if you give to me then God's going to bless you and and this person kind of takes for themselves of course you've got pastors out there with their own private jets and 35,000 square foot homes and these things and, and for some reason that irks me and I'm trying not to be overly judgy towards it but the reality is there's this easy place that can happen to a person who follows Jesus that begins to believe they're entitled for more you see, there's this tension between realizing that we are heirs in God's kingdom, but that doesn't mean we're entitled to everything in the world. And sometimes we think, oh, God loves us and he blesses us, so that must mean it, it looks like this. It must mean it looks like money and prosperity and things and, and, and you know, all the possessions that we have. But the reality is the blessing of God's kingdom doesn't always equate to those kinds of wealth things. But I've seen it happen throughout Christianity. I've seen it even happen in people I know where this mindset starts to happen inside even leaders of churches where they get entitled because they think they're giving their life more for God than anybody else is. Because they think that that maybe because I volunteer or maybe because I serve or maybe just because I simply go to church every Sunday and I give to that church, that this entitled aspect can actually start to grow in us and we think we deserve everything in return. And it's a very dangerous, dangerous, slippery slope. Because I really don't think that Jesus asked Judas to come and be his disciple and immediately Judas was stealing. I doubt it. I think something along the road changed in Judas. Now what you see with Jesus when you follow Jesus as the disciples in the Bible is it wasn't an easy road. There were times where they went hungry, times where they went cold and had no place to sleep, times where they're just asking to stay in someone's house overnight. There was a lot of faith in the process of following Jesus as a disciple in the Bible. And somewhere in there it could be easy for these disciples that are seeing Jesus do all these miracles and then even seeing Jesus do these miracles through them to start to believe they deserved more. And so you've got Judas reaching in the, the pouch of the money that's given to them for the ministry. 
And he doesn't want to go hungry tonight, and so he takes a little more and buys food for himself. I could see this kind of storyline and justification take place. Well, the same thing can happen in us. We can start to look at our own Christianity and even our own closeness to Jesus and start to believe that it entitles us to something more. You see, I really don't think Jesus sees us any different than anybody else. I think that the value of how Jesus looks at every one of us is the same. The value of how he sees me as a pastor, who's maybe given the last 20 years of his life to Jesus and following him, is the same value he has for the person out there who wants nothing to do with church and Jesus. And there's no way for me to even wrap my mind around that, actually. It doesn't make logical or human nature sense to us, does it? Because for us, we love those who love us in return. We value those who value us in return. And so how could God value someone out on the street who rejects him, who maybe even does evil acts, how could he value that person the same amount as he values me? And we can start to believe this lie that he doesn't. He values us more. That actually he loves the church more than he loves the world. That he loves America more than he loves any other nation. Or that he loves my family more than he loves the family down the street. And we can actually start to put on this entitled mindset. And, it, and this is the crazy part of this. It actually becomes the very thing that repulses the world. And so the people who God is reaching for, the people that he's trying to bring back into his family, just like we're in his family, get repulsed by the very people that should be drawing them in. Because I don't know about you, but we can go back to remembering that entitlement is something that repulses all of us, at least when we're not doing it. And when we see other people act in entitled ways, it, it kind of irks us and it bothers us it makes us upset just like the servants in the story in the previous story we get upset over it and so sometimes I think that our issue in the church and why we don't see the world flocking to Jesus is because we've put on an entitled mindset like we're better than and we deserve more but we really don't you want to know why you're all here today grace it's nothing you could purchase. It's nothing you could earn. It's nothing that favors you more than any other person in the world. The fact is grace is just grace. It's just that. You're here by grace and grace alone. We see the, the, the writers of the New Testament say this over and over again. You want to know why they have to say it over and over again? Because we keep forgetting. We think that we've earned it in some way. We think that we're a little bit better in some way. We think that we, we deserve it a little more than maybe others do. We start to build boundaries and lines of when people deserve things from God and when they don't. But the reality is we can't measure any of that stuff. We have no ability in our human nature to understand how God dishes out value but simply to understand that he does in any way he desires. That's what the Bible teaches us. Any way that he does and does wants to do it, he can do it. I'm not better than the next person. But sometimes we can fall into this, this trap of entitlement in believing that we are, and it actually becomes the very thing that repulses the world. 
Matthew 3, 9 says this, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The, the writer's like reminding the Jewish people, hey, don't just say you're sons of Abraham, and because you're sons of Abraham, you're all set. Don't just say that because he can, he can create sons of Abraham from stones if he wants to. And sometimes we can do the same thing, right? It's like, oh, my family makes me justified, or my actions make nothing makes us justified except grace and grace alone. And the writer in here for Matthew, he's saying the same thing. Don't, don't just presume that you're sons of Abraham because of your blood. The whole book of Hebrews says the same thing. Don't just think that you're right with Christ. Don't just think you're right with God because of, of the family line that you came from. This presumption, this entitlement. Ephesians 2, 8-9, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Think about that. None of us can boast about it. This entitlement aspect that sometimes creeps into our lives as Christians, the reality is it's, it's not from God in any way. We can't boast about the gifts that God's given us or the, the grace that he's given us or the mercy he's shown us. It's by grace and grace alone. I, I want to give one more story here. You've got John the Baptist. In John 3, there's this kind of scripture. We're not going to go there. I'm just going to tell you. In John 3, there's this scripture where John the Baptist is announcing that Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, and there's this moment where, where John makes this statement. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. And I've heard it in Christianity, we've kind of pared down just kind of this idea of saying less of me and more of him. And I think this was a good, a good acknowledgement, honestly, on the part of John the Baptist in the moment. But what's funny is just chapters later, John ends up in prison. He gets arrested because he's always speaking out against really the establishment and the religious leaders. And he speaks out against Herod and Herod throws him in prison. And John knows that Jesus has come now, right? John has baptized Jesus. They've seen, it said the heavens split open and a voice came from heaven and something like a dove came down and landed on Jesus. I mean, that must have been a pretty amazing, glorious scene. John was there because he's the one who baptized Jesus. And now he's in prison. And John begins to get discouraged. He sends word a couple times, actually. He says, hey, Jesus, when are you going to get me out of here? And one of the last messengers he sends to Jesus, he actually says, hey, go and ask Jesus this question. Ask him this. Is he the one or should we wait for another? I find this question really interesting because this is the same guy who baptizes Jesus the heavens split open, a dove, something like a dove comes down, the Holy Spirit lands on Jesus, this glorious scene takes place, and here we are just chapters later, and he's going, maybe that wasn't the Messiah. And I have to ask myself, why would he ask that? And I think it's fairly obvious. Because in John's eyes, 
he did not deserve to be in prison. In John's eyes, he's the messenger that that the prophets of old foretold would come and make the way for the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus who was coming. And John is this guy, and he fulfills even the work that he was called to do. And he lands in prison, but something starts to speak or even eat away at John where he starts to think, man, I don't deserve to be in this prison. Where is Jesus? Why is he not rescuing me? Why has he not come and be, you know, because, of course, they expected Jesus to be a little different, right? They expected Jesus to be a revolutionary, to overthrow the Roman government, to overthrow the establishment and to create a new kingdom, all in the ways that they thought. And so John, he's, he's confused why it hasn't happened yet. And it actually causes him to even question to the point of saying, are you the one? Or is there someone else I should wait for? And this is that kind of, attitude of entitlement that's creeped into John's life a little bit. He thinks, well, if Jesus is the one, and I lived my life for Jesus, and I even baptized Jesus, then I shouldn't be in prison. And what's hard for us as humans is that is not an equation in the kingdom of God. Our obedience to God does not mean everything goes easy for us. Our salvation and our grace that comes from the cross doesn't mean that everything is easy and wonderful and nothing's ever going to go wrong. In fact, what we see later is Jesus begins to get very obvious about it and he just tells us, you'll have trials and tribulations in this world, but take heart. In fact, there's a promise that things will be difficult. But when we allow entitlement to become an idol in our lives, what it can do to us is just like John, it can really begin to cause us to question, is Jesus even who he says he is? It's why I think this idol can can really take us out of Christianity. I've been there so many times, myself. I have these places where something hard happens and something difficult happens, and I get confused by it. I get frustrated because there's this part of me that believes that shouldn't happen to me. I'm a pastor. That shouldn't happen to me. Look what I've done for you, Jesus. And I honestly, sometimes I say these things. I'm that stupid. I literally will say to Jesus, Jesus, look what I've done for you. How obnoxiously arrogant is that? Look what I've done for you? I think he's going... Look what I've done for you. What have you done? Living on your big house at the end of a cul-de-sac with your car and boat. Oh, what have you done, Greg? This is Jesus for me. I don't know about you, but sometimes he slaps me in the face. Sometimes he puts me in my place because entitlement wants to constantly lift us up and elevate us to a place where we should not be. And we create this idol of our lives and this idol of our comfort and this idol of wealth and success and all the idols we've talked about because we believe we deserve it. Yet the reality is Jesus promised none of that stuff. Now, does he give it to us? Does he bless us? Absolutely. Does he care about our wants and desires? Absolutely. There's a tension in all this. I understand that. Does he provide for us and rescue us and care for us? Does he keep us from harm at times? Absolutely. But he also doesn't sometimes. Do you want to know the end of John's story? 
Jesus says to the disciples that come and ask him this question, he says, well, if you really want to be my disciple, you need to not get offended over things I do. And guess what happens to John? He gets beheaded. His head gets served on a platter at a party. I don't know about you, but that'd be discouraging to me. That'd make me wonder a lot of things. But that's because entitlement would come in and try to convince us that everything has to go perfect in life if Jesus is who he says he is. Everything needs to be easy in life if Jesus is who he says he is. But I'm telling you today, Jesus doesn't promise that. And part of it is this, we have such a minute mindset because we live about 80 years on this life and we think that's the whole picture. But the truth is, that's just a whisper. But in eternity, imagine an eternity now where John has given his life for the Christ, for the Messiah. He's prepared a way. He's been obedient. And we see in the scriptures that there's something eternal that takes place when we're obedient to God, no matter what comes our way. No matter how hard it gets or how difficult the road is or the challenges we face, if we remain obedient to Jesus, if we keep him in his rightful place and we don't let entitlement take us out of the race, the rewards for eternity are unimaginable. And that's what we have to aim for. That's what we have to remember. But if we let entitlement speak to us too much, we end up having such a short-sighted life. We think that everything that we have here on this earth in this moment is what's important. But it's, it's really just kind of the whisper beginning of an eternity for us. And so much of what we do here and now and how we say yes to God and how we hold things in our life and the decisions we make echoes for the eternity of, of our lives so, and it determines what it looks like forever and ever and ever and ever. I, I can't even wrap my mind around those ideas. But I absolutely know I don't want entitlement to rob me of eternity. I don't want entitlement for something now and instant and, and just that's filled with gratification for the here and now to rob me of something that God wants to give me for an eternity. And entitlement will try to do that. Why don't we stand this morning? Philippians 2, 3, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Instead, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. That, that blows my mind. Jesus even models throwing off entitlement to us. If there was anybody who was entitled to anything, it's Jesus. He did everything right. He never sinned. He always listened to his Father. Yet the scripture says he didn't see equality with God as something to cling to. We shouldn't cling to our entitlement. We shouldn't cling to this value that makes us maybe higher than it ought to be. It's, it's this tension because honestly at the same time God is calling us his sons and daughters and 
there's these promises and all these wonderful things, but if we cling to those things, we end up missing out on those things. But if we cling simply to Jesus, elevating Jesus above everything else in our life, then somehow the blessing of God actually takes place. But if we cling to entitlement, it doesn't work out that way. Matthew 18, it says, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I love this scripture. Jesus is talking about these little children coming to him and he's comparing them to the king. He says, anybody who is humble as this little child, and I love that Jeff shouted out our kids because honestly, maybe today's kids are different than the kids Jesus was talking about. Maybe we've taught them all to be a little too entitled, but something in this story, Jesus is saying there's a humility in this child and that we should be honestly people of humility. So this is what I want to do today. I want to take a few minutes for us to respond to this. Because, you know, the last thing we want to do is just create church services where we come and we sing some songs and we hear a message and we're like, oh, that was really good. Now, what we want is for God to do something in us, to transform us from the person we walked in as today into something a little closer to Him. And so I want to take a moment. Can we, can we let God maybe just work in us for the next five, six minutes? Can we just maybe let Him speak in? Maybe even just put His finger on our life and remind us of some places where we've acted entitled or believed we are entitled or places that we've even become the problem for the world to come to Jesus? Can we let him speak to us today? This is what I want to do. I want to pray. The team's just going to play a song. And I'm going to encourage you, if you want to just throw off entitlement today, I would ask you to come forward. I know that coming forward can be a little scary sometimes. The truth is, it's just a symbolic act to say, listen, I don't want to be the same. I want to leave where I'm at and go to someplace else. I want to go to where God is calling me to go. And so when we call people forward to the altar or to the front, it's simply this symbolic act. But I think that symbolism actually causes things to take place. That when we take action, something happens. So I'm going to pray, and they're going to sing. And I would just say, come forward and spend a few minutes with God speaking to you. Just lay your heart out and say, God, I want to want to throw this off today. So Jesus, we thank you this morning for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you. You don't want to leave us the same. God, we thank you that you want to challenge us. You want to change us. And God, we thank you for your grace this morning. God, that we can simply receive this grace that you've paid for, that you've done over all of our lives, that nothing we can do can earn it, but simply our belief in you makes it free to us and so God I just I just want to lay down my life again maybe for some of us for the very first time we want to say God I want to follow you I've never chosen to follow you before if that's you in this room you can simply say right now in this moment Jesus I lay my life down I lay entitlement down and I receive your grace and right then it changes God, for the rest of us, I pray right now that you would work in our hearts and minds. Let us see where we've acted entitled, where we've maybe served this idol of entitlement in our lives. And God, we choose to lay it down together in Jesus' name. If you'd like to come forward, come forward as we worship.
Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.